Good morning. I'm Jordan Marie Smith from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, March 3rd. In today's news, how it girls and women were treated by the media machine in the early 2000s, and community colleges are at a crossroads. But first, the big idea. FBI Director Christopher A. Ray said Tuesday that his agents are pursuing roughly 2,000 domestic terrorism cases. The Post's Devlin Barrett and Matt Zapotosky report that's a huge spike. This comes at a time when the FBI tries to show it is taking the threat of such attacks seriously, especially in the wake of January's pro-Trump riot. Ray also defended the Bureau's handling of intelligence in advance of the attack on the Capitol. He said that agents rapidly shared what they were learning with other law enforcement agencies. He also said that FBI officials will review internal practices, given how January 6th went. At a hearing last week, the D.C. police chief and the former Capitol police chief said their agencies had received the warning but suggested the FBI should have more aggressively sounded the alarm. D.C. Police Chief Robert J. Conti III told lawmakers, quote, I would certainly think that something as violent as an insurrection at the Capitol would warrant a phone call or something. Ray said the report was shared in three ways. First, it was sent by email to the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force, which includes the D.C. and Capitol Police, Second, it was posted on a law enforcement web portal. And third, it was mentioned in a command center briefing in D.C. Ray did not specifically address why no one had phoned the D.C. police chief and said that he had not been briefed on the information before January 6th either. Ray said he believed the report was handled in accordance with standard FBI practice. The FBI's warning, which was first reported by the Post on January 12th, but has yet to be shared with lawmakers, warned that supporters of then-President Donald Trump were talking on social media about creating a perimeter around the U.S. Capitol and storming inside in a bid to halt Congress's certification of his election loss to Democrat Joe Biden. The document quoted one person urging Trump supporters to go to Washington, quote, ready to fight. Congress, it said, quote, needs to hear glass breaking, doors being kicked in, and blood from their BLM and Pantifa slave soldiers being spilled. Get violent. Stop calling this a march or rally or a protest. Go there ready for war. We get our president or we die. Nothing else will achieve this goal. Pantifa is a derogatory term for Antifa, a far-left anti-fascist movement whose adherents sometimes engage in violent clashes with right-wing extremists. While many of the senators seemed sympathetic to the difficulty of preventing domestic terrorism before it happens, others found Ray's answers unconvincing. Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut said he understood Ray's answers, but added, quote, What I don't understand is why this chatter, raw intelligence, didn't prompt a stronger warning and alarm going to the very top of the United States Congress, because clearly the United States Congress was under severe threat. Some have argued in federal law enforcement circles that the events of January 6th 
represent a drastic failure of security and intelligence gathering. Others have maintained that it was not an intelligence failure as much as a failure to act on the intelligence they had. A January 3rd intelligence memo written by the Capitol Police warned that Congress itself could be targeted by angry Trump supporters who saw the Electoral College vote certification as, quote, the last opportunity to overturn the results of the presidential election. And that's the big idea. Here are two other stories that should be on your radar. Number one. On July 2nd, 2004, Lindsay Lohan turned 18. It was a date obsessed over by men who were much older than 18, who flocked to early internet forums and shock jock radio shows to mouth breathe about how they couldn't wait until it would be legal to do what they were obviously already doing. Fantasize about having sex with a teenager who first found fame as a child in Disney's remake of The Parent Trap. Less than a week after Lohan's birthday, Rolling Stone contributing editor Mark Benelli met the Mean Girls star to profile her for the cover of the magazine's hot list issue. His article begins with Lohan's assurance that her breasts are real. He writes that he discerned as much through, quote, reporting that consisted of, quote, discreet visual fact checking and, quote, a goodbye hug. Post contributor Jessica M. Goldstein says, in 2021, these sentences are objectively disgusting, but they fit right in with the media of that moment. Look up old profiles of young female celebrities from that time, and you'll consistently find something that, if it were published today, would be captured and shared across Twitter and ripped to shreds. But 20 years ago, a leering tone was the industry norm, whether the subjects were actresses, models, reality stars, or one of pop's ascendant blondes. Jessica Simpson, Christina Aguilera, Mandy Moore, or the girl who set the mold, Britney Spears. It was not unusual to find a teenage Spears fielding inquiries about whether she was a virgin, if her breasts were real or fake, or if she was dressing in a way that made her an unsuitable role model for younger fans. Male counterparts were handled quite differently. From their attire, the NSYNC guys wore a lot of turtlenecks, to their behavior. If young male stars talked about having sex, it was a cause for celebration. Quote, it was a horrible time for young women in pop culture, Benelli said. Though he's sure his Lohan story received zero pushback from his editors or his readers and, quote, seemed funny and edgy to me at the time, he no longer finds it so. Quote, reading the story today makes me cringe and I deeply regret writing it and any other ways in which I participated in the rampant misogyny of the media landscape at the time. It's clear that the attitudes of artists and readers have evolved. Tolerance for leering magazine stories is at an all-time low. Number two. Community colleges, long the unsung foundation of higher education in America, have reached a perilous turning point. These two-year public colleges offering associate's degrees, workforce training, and a low-price opportunity to get started on a bachelor's degree had roughly 10% fewer students at the beginning of the school year compared with 2019. No other sector of higher ed lost as much enrollment, a devastating development for these schools that serve large numbers of disadvantaged students and are open to all who apply. History suggests that when the economy sinks, people flock to community college to upgrade skills and resumes. That didn't happen last year. 
But the post-Nick Anderson and Danielle Douglas Gabriel report that community colleges now have a powerful White House ally in First Lady Jill Biden. She is an English professor at a major community college in Northern Virginia. The Biden administration is likely to push for tuition breaks and other measures that benefit community college students. It's the broadest political opening for these colleges in the last decade. During last year's campaign, President Biden proposed making tuition free for public college students with an annual family income below $125,000. The federal government would pay 75% of the cost and states the rest. Such ideas could draw significant support from the Democratic-controlled Congress. Community colleges are essentially an American invention dating to the early 20th century. They expanded enormously after World War II. There are more than 950 nationwide, counting public colleges that offer primarily associate's degrees. They are sometimes called technical or junior colleges, and some also offer bachelor's degrees. In all, these schools enrolled nearly 6.7 million students in fall 2018, roughly 40% of all undergraduates. Students are drawn by low tuition and they generally live at home and commute to school. Growing community colleges matters, not only for the economy, experts say, but also for the causes of racial and social justice. Huge numbers of students of color rely on them to climb the social ladder. About 13% of students at public two-year colleges in 2019 were Black, and 26% were Hispanic. Officials at all levels of government value the role these schools play in the economy. Northern Virginia's large community college is known for its close dual enrollment ties with local high schools, as well as a transfer program that sends thousands to George Mason University and other public universities for bachelor's degrees. Quote, our existing students are sticking with us, Anne M. Kress, president of Northern Virginia, said. She credited the faculty's expertise in online education, as well as intensive outreach to low-income families to avoid the phenomenon of disappearing students known as, quote, summer melt. What community colleges need, Kress said, is funding comparable to the rest of public higher education. That's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, March 3rd. I'm Jordan Marie Smith. Thanks for listening.